0: You're listening to the Flip My Funnel Podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, so in this episode, you'll be hearing one of our favorite and most actionable talks from past conferences. To sign up for the upcoming Flip My Funnel Conference this August in Boston, visit flipmyfunnel.com and use promo code PODCAST for special pricing. This podcast is supported by LinkedIn, Marketo, Terminus, PFL, and Brightfunnel. As Sangram said, this is my third time speaking at one of the Flip My Funnel events, which is awesome. Um, It's the first time I've gotten a little marriage counseling on the side, so that's been a great takeaway for me this morning. It's nice seeing how the content evolves. Uh, And like Sangram said, I'm going to tell the story of Invoca and how we implemented ABM uh, across our, our whole company. But I'm also going to be focusing not just on how we implemented it, but how our approach and strategy has changed over the past year and a half, some of the harder lessons that we've learned, and as well what we're currently doing right now to sort of optimize our ABM strategy and sort of take it from its initial phase to what I think of as sort of 2.0 ABM at Invoca. So to get started, um, a little bit about Invoca to kind of give you the, the framework around the marketing and sales organization that I'm operating within. So Invoca is a B2B SaaS technology platform. In a a nutshell, we are the voice marketing cloud. So what that means is we help organizations um, understand what's happening on inbound phone calls to their company. So helping marketers think um, beyond just that digital landscape um, to the actual conversation that's happening with their prospects and customers. We do this through a few different ways um, with our technology. Um, We provide really in-depth call and voice analytics, um, a real-time engagement engine that allows you to take all of that data, um, parse it, and use it to create a better customer experience, and then as well take that data and plug it into all of your other digital and kind of omni-channel uh, marketing tools. It's not necessarily the easiest product to sell. Um, We sell mostly to large enterprises. It's a very long consultative sales process anywhere from six months to a year and a half if we're selling into really big organizations. Um, We sell to many different buyers um, and different influencers in the process. I think the the most recent number that was quoted earlier was seven to 12 within an organization. That sounds about right for us. It's marketers, it's sales, it's customer success teams, it's call centers, it's IT, it's compliance. Um, It's hard. So um, that's sort of the the landscape um, that... we were were looking at about a year and a half ago, so put yourself in kind of early 2015, when as an organization we were facing some pretty big marketing challenges. One of the main problems we were trying to solve for is um, establishing awareness, not just of the Invoca brand, which I think is a common challenge for most marketers, but also establishing the actual market, um, creating a market around call intelligence. Call tracking solutions were already available on the market, but they were kind of simple, cheap, turnkey solutions to really just get attribution for phone calls, whereas we wanted to take things sort of a step further and create this end-to-end platform um, around call intelligence and really leveraging that call data a little bit more. Tricky tricky to do. Um, We also wanted to quickly grow our pipeline, but given that we are a startup, um, we don't have a lot of extra money flowing in, we couldn't really substantially increase our budget. Um, we wanted to get better results and drive more engagement from our existing campaigns and really focus on the enterprise segment and start um, creating more enterprise pipeline and also closing more enterprise deals. So a lot, of big, a lot of big challenges to kind of overcome at the beginning of last year. At that point in time, we were using um, more of a traditional inbound marketing strategy approach. The, the problem with that is only a very small percentage of people that were coming inbound, leads if you will, were actually desirable buyers of Invoca. Some of them had interest but were too small, um, some of them just weren't the right fit, um, and then just a lot of people were coming to us for our free eBooks and trying to get interesting content but weren't ever actually interested or a good fit in buying our solution. Probably sounds familiar to a few people um, when it comes to inbound marketing, you don't always get um, the, best, the best prospects that way. As a result, we were seeing increasingly low program engagement, um, low conversion rates, especially from lead to opportunity, you know, really that typical funnel view, um, and no way to cost-effectively scale our growth. You've all seen the traditional funnel a lot um, already this morning. One thing that would be missing, I guess, from Invoca's previous kind of traditional funnel is a big pile of money at top that we would draw as burning because it really felt like we were burning money at the top of our funnel, spending money on CPL programs, all of this um, ways to kind of try and draw inbound traffic to us, but it wasn't the right type of traffic. So definitely we were not, did not feel like we were um, being very cost effective and we weren't getting a good ROI for our existing marketing spend. So here's a look at at how we started um, kind of wrapping our heads around the idea of ABM and implementing it. It actually started in the spring of 2015. I attended the Serious Decisions Conference uh, in Nashville with a couple of my colleagues, um, and that was really when the topic was starting to become sort of the hot new thing, um, especially around technology solutions. So we, we saw a few case studies there, talked to a few vendors, had a great conversation with Megan Hoyer, um, a serious decisions analyst who's, who's quite involved in ABM, and decided that it was something that we, we wanted to start embracing at Invoca. So that summer, um, in July, we, we scoped out kind of the initial framework of what that strategy would actually look like. Uh, I worked with both sales leaders, customer success leaders, and um, the marketing team to really share that strategy and get everybody's buy-in. And we began our initial account selection process. About a month later, it felt like we were ready to kind of test it out, roll things out. But I was a little hesitant to roll this out, just kind of blanket across our entire marketing strategy. We had no idea if it was actually going to work. So I said, great, let's let's sort of do um, a beta ABM Uh, test around Dreamforce, which historically has always been a huge event for us, definitely one of our most expensive events, and uh, typically is a little bit hard to to get good ROI from just because it is so expensive, and it's such a huge kind of boondoggle with so many different things happening, it's really hard to to focus on the audience you want and and drive the direct results you want. So we picked Dreamforce as sort of the setting for our our, launching ABM. At the same time as well, we started to revise our attribution and reporting model um, because if you're doing things differently, if you're going kind of more outbound and working more closely with sales, you really need a way to accurately measure the results and make sure that you're getting credit for all of the different kind of new touch points that you're implementing. It's less about how many leads you're getting into your organization and more about all the different ways you're influencing all of those different buyers throughout the, the sales process. So Dreamforce was a huge success. I'll go into a little bit more detail on what exactly we did, but huge success. So I said, great, green light, let's roll this out. Let's roll ABM out across our entire organization. Let's make this our main strategy moving forward. So we went ahead and started expanding the, the pool of accounts that we'd be focusing on. And we rolled out a kind of omni-channel campaigns on a much larger scale. I would say shifting about 80% of our focus to ABM. And still having about 20% of our focus on inbound marketing, so things like content marketing and having people just kind of come to us through our website and SEO and so on. Um, so that kind of led us kind of... That was the strategy we did, and we kind of just kept doubling down and kind of doing more and more with ABM for around nine months. Um, over that nine months, we started seeing some different trends in terms of what was working, what wasn't. And, um, and then this past summer in July, we, we took all those learnings and started making some changes. So we revised our account selection process. We started adding in some new automated programs and really making optimization um, uh, kind of tips and and techniques and and changes that I'll go through in more detail as well. And then that brings us up to to last month where we also decided it was time to really expand our buyer personas. Um, As we were gathering more data, we really noticed that it was the the pool of people that we needed to influence to win an account was getting larger and larger. So we need to do more research around that and, and... prepare our teams appropriately, and then create new content and nurturing tracks and campaigns to align with these new personas that we are building out. So um, kind of in a nutshell, it didn't take us long to get started with that initial program um, and roll things out uh, across our entire organization. I would say it took about three or four months. But then we had that long learning period and are now kind of going through that next phase of um, building on what we've learned. So to get more specific on how exactly did we roll things out at Invoca, Well, we we really did follow the flipped funnel steps. So the first step for us was identifying which accounts we wanted to go after. We did use a predictive tool. Um, We used EverString to kind of run through our existing database and and score what we currently had to see if, uh, if we could find some good accounts in there that we hadn't already been targeting and get a feel for what our ideal kind of target accounts look like. We decided to group our accounts into three tiers, A1s, A2s, and Bs. So the A1s would get... Heavy marketing dollars, heavy attention from the sales executive, uh, sales AEs, account executives, and heavy attention from the sales development representatives, our SDRs. A2s would be focused on by marketing and SDRs, but the sales reps wouldn't really touch them. And then Bs would be focused on only by marketing until they, they were sort of ready or raised their hands or showed promise, and then sales would, would start working them as well. These numbers, to be honest, were kind of arbitrary. (laughs) We sort of said, what sounds like a good number or a good volume of accounts to go after? And that sounded good to us, so we went with it. That was something that we probably could have done a little bit more scientifically. (laughs) The next step was expanding to find the right contacts within these accounts. This was a process that was driven largely by our SDR team, our sales development reps, and with the help of third-party tools, um, prospecting tools like LinkedIn Sales Navigator, um, like InsideView, like Nice, there are a bunch of tools out there that the STRs were all using. So the idea here was within each account, making sure they had a few strong contacts to, to be going afterwards so that all of our outga- outbound campaigns had the right people to be speaking to. Next Um, was engaging and sort of leveraging all the different marketing channels at our disposal to to drive engagement within these accounts. So this is where we rolled out uh, omni-channel campaigns. So we would come up with a campaign idea and um, spread that message across all the different marketing channels at our disposal to provide a consistent message to to these accounts that we were targeting. And then last but not least was measuring results and, and creating more advocacy with the accounts that we were winning. So this is where we, we went ahead and implemented a multi-touch attribution model. Um, I was so happy to do away with the whole idea of just counting the number of leads that we were getting um, getting in our funnel every week, every day, every month. Um, how I started measuring marketing success was less about the volume of leads and MQLs and SQLs that we were getting every month and it was really about influence. Um, so what amount of pipeline were we helping to create and influence? Uh, less focused on what was the lead source, how did a name get into our database. Um, Sure, that's sort of interesting, but that's not what I was focused on. It was of all these different marketing campaigns that we're running, what what amount of pipeline is each of those different touch points creating? Um, And within an account, who are all the different people that we're influencing within that account? Um, So we became a lot more focused on pipeline and revenue creation and sharing those goals with sales so that together, our end goal was creating X amount of pipeline and revenue, not, oh, how many leads is marketing delivering to sales every month? So going into a little bit more detail of what are some of the the actual programs we implemented that were really successful. The first was this pilot program, Dreamforce, that I mentioned. So we took a multi-channel approach. Um, First, in selecting the accounts, we looked to see um, which which kind of target accounts were using technology, uh, Salesforce technology, so would be at the show, or were based in San Francisco. Um, Who were the right job titles that we wanted to be targeting that we knew would be at the show? And then we shifted all of our spend, all of our Dreamforce spend. I mean, we spent a lot of money on a booth because um, booths are really expensive at Dreamforce. But aside from that, we didn't spend money sponsoring any big parties. We didn't spend a lot of money on fancy swag to hand out at our booth. We, we kind of streamlined all of our budget to focus specifically on our ABM program. And the number one goal of this ABM program was to complete on-site meetings at Dreamforce with a list of about 20 to 30 high-profile, high high-target accounts for us. So we did this through a few different ways, kind of pre and during the show. We did some really fancy um, pre-event direct mail to try and tee up these meetings, combined with display advertising with the same offer of meet with us at Dreamforce and get a free Apple Watch. And then we also did some pre-event email nurturing and a webinar um, to kind of warm people up to Invoca and prep them for if they were to meet with us, what we'd be talking about, how we could help them, and so on. We also created a a VIP experience um, at a Giants game. So this was a small event. I think we had around 50 people attending. It was a watch party. We hired um, a former NFL player to be there to sign autographs. I forget who, but um, it was someone, if you're into football, that was great. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I have his autograph somewhere in my closet, but um, we'll see if I ever look at that end again. But we had this VIP experience at a um, at the Giants game. And I just realized I said football, and it was baseball. So there you go. (laughs) You can tell how much I I was really into that. Um, But the people that were there were into it, so that's what counts. Uh, And then, as I mentioned, we had this on-site incentivized offer, um, an Apple watch for completing the meeting with us. Uh, I'm sometimes hesitant to dangle incentive offers, but because we'd done such a good job vetting the accounts that we were going after and the people that we wanted to speak with, these were people that... um, we did, we did, being able to have a conversation with them was worth the, the spend of giving them an Apple Watch. And because they were so highly kind of pre-qualified by us, we weren't just handing out watches to, to anyone that agreed to sit down and see a demo of Invoca but wasn't actually potentially interested. So this, this ended up being extremely successful. Um, the results were we ended up completing on-site meetings with over 25 large enterprise accounts, which was amazing. Previously, we really struggled to get them to pay attention to us. And in a show like Dreamforce, our leads were the the lists of people that we'd spoken to were kind of all over the map. So this was really targeted, focused um, meetings, and we generated over a million dollars in pipeline, about 1.3 million in pipeline, which was amazing. And our ROI finally at Dreamforce shot up to to where I'd like it to be. So, so that was fantastic, and that was why we decided to kind of double down on ABM and roll it out more broadly across the organization. So about six months later, um, after we'd rolled out ABM across all of our kind of our marketing and sales initiatives and made it around 80% of our focus, these are some of the awesome results that we saw. So the total amount of pipeline um, that we were seeing after we launched our our beta ABM programs was almost 2x more than the pipeline that we'd been able to generate the the previous two quarters. Our pipeline to spend ratio, um, which is a metric that I follow closely, so for every marketing dollar we spend, how many dollars of pipeline is that creating for us? Um, Our goal is usually 10x for our pipe to spend ratio. With ABM, we were hitting 26x, which, again, was phenomenal. Um, I felt like I'd literally tapped into a gold mine. And then the increase in opportunity creation rate, something that we'd been struggling with, um, also kind of shot up. And for enterprise ABM accounts, which is specifically what we were trying to um, target through ABM, um, we saw a 26% increase in those opportunity creation rates. Interestingly, this last stat... um, is around display advertising. So we, we did start doing display advertising with Terminus. Um, I wanted to be able to spend our dollars putting ads only in front of the accounts that we were trying to sell into, and I, I'd always kind of felt that display was a little bit of a waste of money. Um, in the B2B world, nobody actually clicks on display ads and then goes and buys your product, right? It's more of an awareness play. But by being able to to track, well, first of all, doing an account-based approach to display advertising and track it, I was able to actually prove that um, when these accounts engaged or or saw and interacted with um, display ads, we saw anywhere from a 50 to 200% increase in the, the number of opportunities that were created within those accounts. So that was great, and it was the first time that I really felt confident in saying display ads do work if you take a targeted approach. So a year later, um, this is sort of this past summer, um, how were things looking? You know, We had that initial excitement and success, like my goldmine of, of ABM success, but after a year, things started to slow down a little bit. In general, the success was still there. We were still driving higher engagement with enterprise accounts, which was the initial goal that we set out to achieve. We were seeing 20% higher engagement um, with our ABM accounts than we were with others, and around a 20% higher opportunity creation rate. So that's still, that's still fantastic. But some of the challenges we faced were the overall volume of results was still lower than desired. We weren't scaling up as quickly as I'd hoped, and the the total amount of new opportunities and pipeline and revenue that we were creating was a little bit lower than I hoped. So we started to dig in and see, well, what doesn't really seem to be working here? And there were a few different areas that we we found. So the first was we discovered that our account selection process was not 100% effective. I chalked this up to a few things. Um, First marketing would sort of provide tools to the sales team, so we would use predictive tools, we would use um, uh, other tools like InsideView, like Datanize, like DataFox to kind of put together lists of what we thought were good accounts, and then we would pass them off to sales and say, hey sales, go pick your 25 your 75 um, accounts, and we kind of were very hands-off on that. We assumed that sales really wanted that, that high touch, um, kind of, empower- we thought it was empowering for them to let them pick all of their accounts ends up it wasn't. It just felt to them like a really big burden that they didn't have time to do, and so there were a couple of scenarios. One, the sales reps would push it off to their SDRs. Our SDR team, smart, hard-working folks, but they're all about a year out of college and don't really know the enterprise world really well, so probably weren't the best folks to be hand-selecting the best target accounts. So the reps were either pushing it down to their SDRs, or they were leaving it to the very, very last minute um, because they were busy, you know, selling and would just really quickly um, pick their 100 accounts the day before the deadline was due without putting in the work that's required to really vet those accounts and make sure it's the, it's the right uh, target for us. So when we when we dug in, um, when the marketing team dug in and, and looked to see, okay, what of these accounts are, are, who are we actually marketing to? Um, it was sort of a a wake-up moment of, hmm, maybe only about 50% of these are actually good accounts that we should be spending our marketing dollars targeting. Another big problem was too many accounts, which ended up leading to a lack of personalization and us uh, essentially spreading ourselves too thin. Um, I mentioned we picked those 25, 75, and 300 numbers, just sort of, they sounded good, not the best strategy to take. (laughs) Uh, So, So that ended up causing a problem for us, just too many accounts, we weren't able to be personalized in our outreach, we weren't able to to really go deep and wide within those accounts because we were trying to cover too many. Uh, And then the last piece was our SDR team, which for us is really a crucial part of the success of of ABM um, because they're sort of, I see them as just another arm of marketing even though at our organization they roll up into sales, their focus was really split we'd had some changes in leadership and on the management team of the SDRs and they were still handling all the inbound that was coming to our company and they were expected to also um, help and do all the outbound calls and following up with personalized emails and everything for all the ABM accounts. And and each SDR was working for two different sales reps so they'd have about 200 ABM accounts plus all the inbound that was coming in and it was just a nightmare. Just way too much work for them to be able to uh, be effective in their role and we didn't—we being myself and marketing—didn't have a lot of visibility into how they were actually spending their time. We would just do trainings with them and say, "Hey guys, here are all the marketing campaigns. Run with it." Um, they were getting the same kind of feedback from their manager on also handle all the inbound, um, and then there wasn't visibility into what was actually happening, and there wasn't a lot of alignment between the outbound versus the inbound stuff they were dealing with. So, so that was an area that um, was sort of ripe for optimization, I guess you could say. So what was our, or what is our optimization strategy? Um, and I'm curious, before I go into this, just show of hands, who here is in sales? I know earlier we saw who the marketers were, but I'm just curious. Okay, I'm, that's so awesome. I'm so happy to see that there are so many sales folks here, because to me, it's, ABM is, I know it's called account-based marketing. Um, I know also the term account-based everything is, is starting to be kind of evangelized, and sales are just as important to this strategy as marketing. So the first thing that we did is we created sort of an updated working group with sales that included not just the sales leaders but mid-level managers and also people doing the everyday work, so sales reps and STRs. We wanted to get visibility into all levels of the sales organization to make sure that what marketing was working on and our ideas were, that we were getting buy-in from all the different people within sales, not just the top-level leaders who would then sort of push it down. Uh, we, we did more of a deep dive into who is our ideal customer profile um, what, to, to better understand which accounts do we really want to be going after. Uh, as I mentioned, we left it up to the sales reps to be picking their accounts. We decided that marketing should take that back, but if we were going to take it back, we wanted to make sure that sales felt comfortable, we were picking the right types of accounts. So we did a lot of workshopping around that and made sure that everyone was really on the same page about what our ideal customer profile should be. Then at that point, we also did some really in-depth training um, across both teams on who these these different buyer personas are, um, defining not just titles and stuff like that, but interviewing them, interviewing customers, uh, getting all kinds of great information so that, again, everybody on both sales and marketing felt really comfortable that they knew within these target accounts, who are all the different people that we need to target and influence. And then making sure when the sales team was doing their outbound efforts to support marketing, that they were targeting the right people and within each account we had enough good people to be going after. We weren't just focusing on only the CMO, we were focusing on the director of digital um, or the email marketing manager, all the different people that were involved in the sales process. And then as well, um, reviewing the different messaging that we would created for each of those different buyer personas. I mentioned we've got a complicated um, sales process. We do sell to CMOs. We do sell to email marketing managers. Your pitch to those two people or your your educational content to those two people are very different, right? Because they have very different job focuses and goals. So so doing a lot more training along that, basically doing more groundwork than we'd we'd done initially when we launched the programs kind of quickly. Next, working with sales as well here was taking a step back and reevaluating our goals um, and doing some capacity modeling. Again, this is where that whole problem of just randomly picking 25, 75, 300 accounts kind of came into play. So we, we talked a lot about um, how much and what percentage of our revenue we wanted to come from ABM versus inbound marketing and actually put numbers um, down instead of saying, oh, you know, we'll do about 80% ABM, um, looking to see what that would actually be. Um, and then looking at what volume of work is required to really work an ABM account versus handle inbound inquiries? And then does the sales team actually have the capacity to do all of the work that's required for each one of those ABM accounts? And is the team even structured in the right way? Um, we started discussing, does it make sense to have an SDR team of its current size? Do we double the size of our SDR team since we're asking them to do a lot of the ABM work? do we add more reps? Do we cut down on the number of reps? Uh, so all that kind of modeling to make sure that our sales organization was correctly aligned to the, the needs of an ABM approach. Because we hadn't done that previously. We basically just took our existing sales organization, plugged ABM into it, and said, forget how you used to be selling. Sell, sell, this, new, sell this new way um, without looking at, is the team structured properly? And it wasn't all sales that needed to make changes. Marketing had a lot of homework to do as well. So what, mar- what the marketing team did is, based on this sort of updated um, ideal customer profile and all the different buyer personas that we developed or sort of um, re- re-established with sales, we started developing um, a much more personalized content strategy and making our campaigns smaller and more focused on these very specific buyer persona types. And this meant, on our end, kind of looking at, should we be restructuring our content team? Because again, when we made the shift to ABM, we basically just took our existing content team, which consists of um, our director of of communications. We have a a, a content marketer who writes all of our case studies and ebooks. We've got a social media person and then a PR person, um, and all of them contribute to our blog. And we kind of just said, we're doing ABM now. Your roles are all still the same, but just help us create ABM content without looking at their day-to-day priorities. So as a result, they were still doing everything that they used to do to drive an inbound strategy Plus, they were trying to help us with ABM, but didn't really understand what exactly was required. So they were feeling kind of stretched too thin. We weren't getting, on the demand gen side of things, we felt like we weren't getting enough good ABM content, which for us meant less top of the funnel, kind of fluffy blog posts, fewer ebooks. It meant more specific um, small case studies, customer stories, um, relatable, relatable stories that really spoke to each type of persona, and more kind of mid bottom funnel. Um, when I say mid-bottom funnel, the kind of content you you send to accounts when they're kind of already in the sales process to to influence all the different people. So what this meant is sort of looking at those different roles on the content team and saying, hey, you know, our blog's great, but right now, if you think about the the quadrant that Sangram was just saying, they're kind of more in that that bottom corner. Um, The blog's great, but it's not going to help us really achieve our ABM goals immediately, so maybe let's cut back on some of the blogging we're doing and dedicate that writer's resources to more ABM-specific content. Um, So so those are the kind of discussions we had. We didn't hire anyone new on our content team. Um, We just kind of are, and we're still in the process of doing this, restructuring what their focus is on as well to make sure that the content they're producing is aligned with the demand gen team goals and the sales team goals rather than having the content team just sort of out doing their same thing um, separate from our new ABM strategy. So those are kind of the changes that we made in terms of people resources. Um, and, I, and I truly believe that people resources are the, the thing that you need most for implementing ABM. Um, but then there's also tools, right? We've got Scott Brinker's wonderful, um, nightmarish technology scape with all the 3,000 different tools that you can use. Um, not to frustrate the vendors that are out there that are fantastic, but I don't think it's absolutely necessary to invest in new technology to start with ABM. We didn't at first... Um, ABM really is a mindset, it really is a strategy, you don't necessarily need to shift everything um, in terms of your technology to roll it out. Um, but that being said, we did adopt some, a lot of new tools pretty early on, and then there are still sort of some nice-to-haves that we're either currently implementing or are on our kind of wish list for the future. So, and just a little caveat here, the logos that I have listed here are, are technology products that we actually use um, and I like using but there are always um, other options out there as well that are potentially just as good. So this is my list of of technology tools that I think are are good to have if you can when you start with ABM. Not necessary, but good to have, or at least to to bring on board within your first few months. Um, The first is multi-touch attribution. I talked about that a little bit already, but to make sure that you're getting credit for all those different touch points on the path to purchase, not just that first touch, which isn't necessarily as important when you're dealing with ABM. We use BrightFunnel for that, but there are a lot of other great tools out there as well. Um, lead to contact to account matching um, in Salesforce. It, It blows my mind that Salesforce still has these separate objects that make it so difficult for a marketer to really get that holistic view of all the different individuals within an account right? How do you do ABM if you can only see the contacts associated with an account that someone has actually um, manually matched to that account? It's, it's a nightmare. What about all the leads that are coming in that should be associated with the account, all of that? So we use lean data for that. Um, it automates the process, helps us get that holistic view of For every account we're going after, who are all the different contacts, not just the ones that sales has bothered to associate with the, I shouldn't say bothered, that sales has done the work to associate um, with that account, who are all the different leads in our database that are part of that account, Um, that's been invaluable. Uh, Digital advertising, which I mentioned already, we use Terminus, there are some other um, platforms out there as well that that do the um, account-based stuff, Um, but we've also started using LinkedIn a little bit as well for digital advertising, um, because they've been rolling out some new account-based products. Um, was thrilled to be able to prove that it works, um, so that's, it's good to have the technology to prove that your digital advertising is working. And then the account and contact acquisition. Um, this, these are tools that are all used by our sales team to, to find the right contacts um, within the accounts that we're, that we're prospecting into. On my nice-to-have list, these are um, tools that we use as well. Um, There are a couple that we're not using yet, so real-time personalization or content personalization. It's something we haven't invested in yet, mostly because we don't have the people resources yet to really roll it out, but I see this as very valuable and something we're going to be probably rolling out in Q1, and I also realize that makes me a big target for anyone that's selling that product right now. (laughs) Um, So I'll probably expect to get a lot of emails and calls from folks from those companies, but uh, I think this is an important tool, just not something that we prioritize needing right away. We do a ton of direct mail and have a lot of success with direct mail. Um, We use PFL for that. Love working with them. It's made things a lot easier. But if you're not doing a huge volume of direct mail, you don't necessarily need an automated platform to do it, right? Um, So that's a tool where if it's a very important channel for you, I recommend investing in it. It's nice to have. But if you're not doing a huge volume, you could probably get by with sending that kind of stuff on your own for a while. Um, Integrated and customized video. Um, We use Vidyard. Love working with them. We've been using them for a while, mostly for the integrated piece, just to be able to track video views and see what influence it has, um, um, what influence those those videos have on our marketing campaigns. We're now just starting to get into the idea of customized video, which I think is really cool, so being able to create videos for each specific account. Haven't done a lot with it yet, but that's another big project for us. And then integrated sales and marketing campaigns. Um, What I mean by this is... um, a tool that allows sales to also be sending out the same kind of campaigns and messages that marketing is sending out. Um, Engageo is, is one company that comes to mind that's doing this with their Playmaker tool. Um, there are a few others out there. It's interesting. For us, we're still not quite there yet. Um, we've still got a lot of other work to, to do, but it's something that that I think is worth considering as well as sort of maybe a, maybe a must-have depending on how involved your sales organization is. Maybe a nice to have, but something else worth looking into. So those are all the different tools that are in Invoca's on a current ABM world or um, in in my mind for future implementation. So, um, I will wrap up here with some kind of final takeaways and tips. Um, The number one most important thing I think you can do is really establish a good working group with sales and marketing um, and customer success. I've left them out a lot from our presentation, but I think they're equally important as well. Um, By this, I mean really a working group. So, not just the head of sales talking to the head of marketing and then um, kind of pushing those ideas down, but getting people from all levels of your sales and marketing organization in the same room, working together to make sure you're getting buy-in from everyone, hearing everyone's ideas, and making sure that it's a really solid partnership with complete transparency and open communication. Because if one team is headed in one direction and thinks, thinks ABM is, is one strategy and the, and the sales team doesn't have the same views or might not understand things or have a different view of what ABM is, it's just not going to work. So you really need to be working closely together. Um, the next is, make sure you prioritize your resources to be selecting the proper accounts and contacts. Do that hard work up front. It's time-consuming, it is hard work, but make sure you know what your capacity is for the a number of accounts you can focus on. Who are these, um, who is your ideal customer profile, all that kind of stuff. Because if you don't do this hard work, then you're just wasting money um, and marketing dollars on the wrong people and the wrong accounts which can then deliver low results and make you question, oh, is ABM even working, right? So you need to make sure you've got the right foundation there. I recommend starting small to get it right. Um, ABM can be, can be tricky. It takes a lot of work when you're, when you're going small and doing personalization. So sm- start with a small group, figure out what works for your organization, and then take baby steps to, to get bigger and bigger so that you're not um, stretching yourself too thin, that's a lesson that I wish we'd learned a little bit earlier on. To, we kind of went from very small to very big. We didn't incrementally grow. Um, and as a result, we didn't realize that we'd stretched ourselves too thin too quickly. Uh, and then, last but not least, make sure you've got a way to measure your success. Um, I feel like this is kind of a no brainer for everyone, but you don't want to be trying something new if you're not able to then look back and say, hey, was that a success? So for us at Invoca, it was switching to that multi touch attribution model to make sure that we were getting credit for all of the different touch points that we're influencing an account, not just the lead source. Um, and then, as well, implementing tools to, to be able to measure the success of specific channels, so digital advertising or video uh, and so on, to make sure that we had really granular attribution for each of those different marketing channels that we were using. So that's really it in a nutshell. Um, that's been the Invoca journey so far. Uh, we still have new things to be trying out, as I mentioned, new tools to be trying out, new strategies to be optimizing. Um, but overall, ABM's been... Uh, huge, hugely successful for our marketing and sales organization and it's exciting to really see um, how, where we've come to today and then the, the the new opportunities that still kind of are out there for us to continue to grow so hope it was uh, hope it was interesting and useful Flip My Funnel is on a mission to build the largest and most engaged community of B2B professionals in the world join the movement at flipmyfunnel.com